John Davies has a method, an approach he systematically developed over a career spanning three decades. He's proven it to be invaluable for dozens of industries and thousands of projects facing public acceptance. Up until now, the method has only been available to his select client list. John is unpacking his insight and wealth of knowledge to overcome opposition and earn public support for the first time right here. Throughout these episodes, we'll take a deep dive step-by-step step with John into his strategies to overcome opposition and create support. Nothing is free in this world, but good ideas are priceless. The show could be just the thing you've been looking for. I'm Mark Sylvester. Now, let's get started and talk with John. John, welcome back. In going through the method and the strategy, and you, you and I were talking about how this wasn't actually new, that this had been figured out a long time ago. Tell me that story again. Well, I, it's really funny because, you know, you think, well, you know, this is this right first or am I just full of bull? Is this just, am I doing the right things? This makes sense to come up with this method over time and is it real and it well it works so yes and then then you get a little pride it's like well man i'm really good well you know because i've read lots of books i really study persuasion i really study the psychology of persuasion how people make decisions well i was reading a book it was called show and tell and i'm i'm popping through that book and i see this thing on aristotle and i go huh so I go back and study some other stuff that I've read where they talk about Aristotle. And then I go back and look at some of Aristotle's teaching and go, oh, Aristotle, you know, 384 BC had figured out this whole idea before anyone had. And he wasn't dealing with wind farms, I don't think. So what is the Aristotle? Is it, well, was it a method or did someone call it the Aristotle method? It, it's, well, it's, Aristotle talked about how to persuade you have to go to three, you have to persuade with three different ways, three different arguments. He talked about ethos, pathos, and logos. And so the idea is you can't just go with a, a logical logos argument, and you can't just go with an emotional, which is pathos, and you can't just go with an ethical ethos. So we have to do all three. So you look at it, and, and apply that to what we've just been talking about. So ethos is earned respect through credibility and character. So that's acknowledge and contrast. It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sorry. I, I should say this is the Aristotle method, not the Davies method. And pathos is stir emotions and imagination, which is you're stirring imagination when we address people's dreams and their fears, which we'll talk about later. But that's what we do when we're embracing and acknowledging all these things together. So embracing, engaging, that's stirring people's imagination. That's getting them fired up. And then we go to logos, which is provide evidence through words, structure, and data. So that's the logical that's piece. A lot, that's a bridge. That's when we start talking about that. But the deal is, if you want to get to the logical side of the brain, the best way to get through to it is on the emotional creative side. And in that order. Exactly. Because the 
the logical side of the brain is going to value everything and, and want more data and more data and more data is going to say no. When you go through the creative side of the brain, you engage it and it's interesting. And by the way, it's the same brain, so it all gets in there. So that's why stories work. What was the realization like for you when you connected all of those dots? Well, dang, I should have paid more attention in, in college philosophy classes. I wouldn't have taken you know, 20 years of my life to come through with it, to get to this point of the method. I would have done it when I first started. Now, your story, um, as it relates to reading, because you've been reading since you were really young, and why did you start reading so young? Well, I, I had an interesting start with, uh, to life as I got it, it was discovered that I had a speech impediment when I was in fourth grade which I think everyone could have told you I had a speech impediment from the first day I tried to utter a word. But, you know, and back in those days, they decided I needed to deal with it. So when I had a speech impediment, you don't talk because no one understands you. So you stop talking. And so when you stop talking, you start watching. And when you watch and you're not communicating with people, you start reading and you start looking into things and you start researching deeper and deeper and you start watching how people behave. I was watching you thumb through your iPhone, your reading list. I th it, it felt like there were like five or six hundred books on there. Yeah. I, and by the way, it's. I think. I think it's uh, one of the most brilliant things is the ability to have a book in my pocket, but not one book, but five hundred books. And so there's so many great books to read, and the and to really understand how to create a message. So I go back to some of the earliest the earliest books. There's a, a gentleman called Claude Hopkins, who I believe it's in the 40s or 50s. And, and I read this book when I found a hardcover of it probably 25 years ago. And now here it is, this fresh copy I can get from uh, Amazon or from my books. And it's called Scientific Advertising. And I mean, that's pretty amazing. I can read a book by a guy who stands the test of time. And then another gentleman named Rossiter Reeves, who wrote a book called Reality and Advertising. He came up with the idea of unique selling point. So you get back to those and you start looking at it. And then uh, one of the geniuses in persuasion who has is, is been a mentor to me in, in all his, uh, his programs and his writing is Bob Cialdini, who wrote Influence. And now he has a, a new book in the last year or so called Persuasion. And, and not the easiest things to read, but well worth they're reading. They're dense, right? Yeah, they're dense, but they're but it's worth taking the time to read it. And and you know you read a chapter and you put it down, and sometimes for a month and you pick it up. You know I think I've read uh, Influence maybe five times. I have a to, few books like that that yeah. are, um, you know you you read them once a year or twice a year, and and yeah. because the the pearls are so good. What's interesting about these books or these concepts is they really do stand the test of time. They do. They right? Do. Well, I principles. Mean, but that's the point. Right. Aristotle stood the test of time. If you, if you look at uh, just the idea of what he's saying, that you've got to appeal to logic, emotion, and ethical. I mean, that test, test time. And think about today. Everything's moving. How much faster the world right. moves today. But this still, it has to be done. We just do it quicker. And there's, there's probably a nice graphic that someone could draw a triangle and draw ethos at the top, 
pathos over on the right and logos yeah. over on the left and just yeah. make sure that they've captured those yeah, points. That's, and that's how Aristotle showed it. He had, you know, that's how they show his, I don't know if it's a picture graph somewhere, but that's how every book, every place would show Aristotle. It's a triangle, and, and I've actually seen the different points at different places. I believe that ethos has to be on the top, and that's the, the ethical respect that you start with. And I think that's the, the ethical way you're suggesting in the method is start right. with acknowledgement. That's the ethical way to do it. You said you had a, a story about Al Gore that related to this. Well, if you, if you think about Al Gore, I mean, he literally changed, changed the world with uh, global warming, climate change, environmental movement. I mean, it, so one man, one book, one movie, one idea, but he couldn't get elected president. The same persuasive man, and 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 uh, we could all argue what happened in that campaign. But he's running for election, basically re-election for the third Clinton term. Uh, the economy's great. We're not at war. We uh, we have no deficit. And he, he ran, and he was so stiff. He didn't have those three arguments at all. He was he was just awkward, and so. The idea, you have to have those three arguments together. You have to have the emotional part, and you have to tie it all together. And, and he's a perfect example of someone who didn't do it. And then if you look at some of the great communicators, great leaders of our, of our time, I mean, Ronald Reagan always had the three. Martin Luther King, amazing with the three. Uh, Steve Jobs, amazing how he was able to communicate that way. And so what a cast of characters, right? Ronald right. Reagan, Steve Jobs, I mean, you don't put, and Martin Luther King, you don't put them together, but they're guys that could, could communicate in a way that both had an ethical approach, a logical, and an emotional. When I think about communication, whether I'm, I'm writing a story or I'm preparing a brief, I'm gonna go talk to someone, and I think about these major beats, mm -hmm. as I would call them, there's a linkage between those beats, so I think of them as transitions. Give me an example of a transition where I'm going from the ethical argument to the emotional argument. What would be a natural transition? Well, the, first off, the trend, it's not as important the transition. It's important that the transition in the level of interest and trust in the listener. It's not your transition, it's theirs, that you've earned their respect and their interest by being ethical. That's a whole, the whole idea of this approach is you earn their respect. And so if I earn someone's respect, they're gonna listen to me. And then if I come to them with a more emotional argument, I mean, and that emotional argument is, what do they care about? What are their dreams? What are their fears? How do I relate to those dreams and fears? Mm. And how do I really do it? Not how do I fake it? How do I really do it? How do I care? Because you think about pathos, I mean, just the idea of that word, that means I have empathy. I really have empathy, and I can relate to you. I'm reminded I study improv because I'm learning how to be really present, and I'm imagining if I'm talking to someone and I have these beats in my head, and if I'm not paying close attention to them and I'm, I'm missing the cue mm -hmm. that I either have or I've lost their trust or they, I just said something where I, where I broke rapport for a second and I need to back up. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's funny. I think I think I've talked about this with a bunch of folks. Is it's almost like you have to back out, take your hat off, and put it on the right way again. You know, okay, you to, okay, you got to unpack that for me. Well, what? the idea is like like start over. It's okay to start over. It's all right mm. to start, get back with people, and go, and and start from the beginning again. Because if you didn't connect, because you weren't paying attention, you got to start from the beginning and connect. You got to have, you got to get a connection. The connection comes from that credibility. Do you want to talk to someone that you don't you don't have credibility with? Not at all. So a waiter comes to your table and uh, and 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 you immediately feel there they go, "Hey, the specials tonight are so great, especially the salmon. It's fresh in and you look at the on the menu, the little clip on the menu of the special and it's $45 entree the salmon. It's like that guy's gone. The guy the guy, you know you, you, he doesn't have credibility. If he comes over and says, listen, if you're thinking about fish tonight, these three fish are fresh. The other two were brought in yesterday. It's still good, but they're not as fresh. This is happening. And regardless of price, he's working with you. And so he, he's creating credibility. And by the end of the dinner, he comes by and says, you want dessert? You have so much credibility. He'll say, you know, have the $45 piece of pie. And you're like, I'm in because you trust him. John, I want a $45 piece of pie. I don't. <laughs> I appreciate uh, getting the history lesson here, John. Uh, next week, we're going to we're gonna stay in this general idea, and we're going to talk about how everyone else has been doing this backwards. Yeah. It's not, it's not a pretty scene, but I think it's, it's something that helps you realize how to do it right. Thanks, John. Thank you for listening. It's now your opportunity and responsibility to use the method today. You've completed one segment toward understanding the Davies Method. We look forward to you subscribing. Join us as we uncover and explain the nuances of John's distinctive approach. For more episodes, visit thedaviesmethod.com. I'm Mark Sylvester, recording at the Pullstring Press Studios in Santa Barbara, California.